Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. On this week's show, I'll have Greg Walden and Michael Droback of McGuire Woods and the Small UAV Coalition. And we'll be talking about everything you wanted to know about flying drones legally, whether you're an individual or a company. I'll also be going into depth on the ongoing saga of the Quadrica CX Canadian crypto exchange scandal, where they lost $136 million U.S. dollars. For Cyber Tip of the Week, I'll be talking about how to limit Facebook's access to your phone number. And at the end of the show, during the pivot, I'll be talking about an upcoming career fair. So if you're ever thinking about a career in tech, stay tuned. So in this week's tech news, I've been covering the Quadrica CX scandal for quite a number of shows. It's just such an interesting story where a Canadian cryptocurrency exchange had lost access to about 136 million USD of cryptocurrency due to their founder's untimely death while on a trip in India. There was lots of scratching of heads, people just not understanding how that could be. And you have to listen to past shows about what the situation was. But Jessica Powell, the CEO of another crypto exchange, Kraken, um, said that there are now law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, looking at what really happened because even though the founder allegedly died and has a death certificate, there was no evidence of any movement of those funds into what's called a cold wallet. So in cryptocurrency, um, you can have things in what's called an exchange or a electronic wallet, or you can move it into cold storage, which is a secure way of keeping those funds outside of the ability of hackers to get into. Uh, Jessica Powell of Kraken has said, you know, they've done their own investigations, other leading security researchers, and they cannot see any evidence that these funds had been moved. The Dow Jones um, had their data exposed on a public server, and they called it authorized third-party um, was why the leak occurred. And so in my own business, I talk a lot about vendor management or third-party risk. And this is a case where they're very carefully wordsmith that this was an authorized third party. So either they, Dow Jones has a relationship with the company or it's providing a service knowingly um, that caused a breach for all of this customer and client data. This is just a reminder to make sure that uh, whenever you're engaged with someone else's data, that whether it's internal or external, you have the proper controls um, to secure that. In kind of a flip-flop, Tesla, Elon, Tesla's Elon Musk announced that they're getting rid of almost all their retail stores, and this is in order for them to cut cost. So it's a clear indication that they need to save money. Uh, this is interesting because just a couple of months back, Tesla announced that they were going to expand into all these shopping malls. Um, there's other news that in order to get the savings that they'll be passed on to the customers that former Tesla um, purchases or owners who just recently bought Teslas are very upset because now uh, the new owners get a price cut. And that's the tech news of the week. Hi. 
Hi, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today I'm joined with Michael Drobak and Greg Walden of McGuire Woods Consulting and the Small UAV Coalition. Just a little bit of explanation. Small UAV, UAV stands for Unmanned Aerial Vehicles Interchangeably as Drones. And Michael and Greg have a ton of experience. Michael has done a lot of work in the private sector um, doing governmental affairs for companies such as Netflix. And Greg used to be the general counsel of the FAA. So we've got two experts here to talk about everything you as an individual or a company needed to know initially to fly drones legally. So welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having us. We look Good forward to So, uh, you know, McGuire Woods in itself has a great story. How did you guys decide to branch out into UAVs? So it's a great question, and uh, again, thrilled to be on the show. Um, you know, it's, we're hitting a, a time, and certainly I think we've hit the time, where uh, consumers are accessing their content, their services, and um, you know, they're living in a way that is quite different than they used to. And so we see automation and robotics and uh, e-commerce and digital services that have taken hold. And with that has also come an, an, you know, artificial intelligence. And with that came autonomy, which is the concept, of course, as we all know, from self-driving cars to um, autonomous vehicles, both ter- terrestrial and aerial. And um, as we began to work for different clients that were in uh, the technology and Internet space, we started seeing that long-term projections and long-term goals were going to be to, um, in many cases, uh, make things and make technology work for companies in ways that were more consistent with how consumers are living. And of course, that, that led to how do we do delivery? How do we have goods and services provided to consumers in a way that limits and lowers costs, but also provides jobs that are higher paying and actually um, promote uh, society's kind of innovations? And so I think that's really where um, we saw our clients going which is kind of more local and also um, more digitized. And that means that, you know, autonomy presented a lot of opportunities for consumers, which is why we began to get excited about the the possibilities. Yeah, that's great. And and just because I mentioned it briefly in the introduction, can you mention some of those clients? So, you know, we don't like to specify certain clients. Um, you know, we do work for companies like Intel. We do work for companies like uh, like Amazon and TripAdvisor and uh, a, a number of the UAS, unmanned aircraft systems companies. Uh, we do a work for digital publishers. Um, so take all of the legacy industries that you've known and look at the arms or the kind of bodies that have become how they operate, which which is really moving from kind of legacy material and or um, kind of um, brick and mortar and then conceive of the world that is no longer uh, that. And so what we began to see is that you know, all companies are looking to move their services into the digital economy and the digital ecosystem. And so it really isn't one client that got us focused on this area. It was that, um, you know, specific to this industry in particular, um, we began to see that there are a number of trade organizations that are focused on technology. There are a number of groups that have focused on these issues, but not specific to one industry, not specific to the commercial industry. So 
Um, it wasn't one client that kind of tipped us off to this. It was that uh, a number of our clients were exploring it. We just didn't know it at the time. And so we started having conversations not only with academics and consumer groups, but also with companies saying, we think this is where it's going. And we also think that there can be a stronger voice within the states and local governments, as well as the federal government, on opening the opportunities for consumers and companies to meet in this new digital economy. I'm really glad you brought that up. And yes, you didn't need to name specifics, but what I wanted to really hit home is our show is called Silicon Valley Insider, but those who um, gotten to know me know that I come out of corporate leading uh, technology risk and uh, lots of negotiations for um, s- s- several large tech companies and banks. And what I really want to inform people on is that the convergence of every technology and all these industries, there's regulations involved, whether it's uh, financial services, whether it's um, consumer products, and whether now we're dealing with um, the FAA in governing airspace for drones. And I think it's something that people don't often think of, especially an individual who just decides to buy a drone and start flying it. But even more, um, drones get larger. Uh, Drones have um, more ability. When we mentioned package delivery, which we'll get into in the next segment, um, there's just higher risk, and people really need to be aware of those risks uh, individually or commercially. So when we get back, we'll be talking more with Michael Drobak and Greg Walden of McGuire Woods and the Small UAV Coalition. Don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today on the phone, I've got Michael Drobak and Greg Walden of McGuire Woods Consulting and the Small UAV Coalition. And as we discussed in the first segment, UAV is unmanned aerial vehicles, otherwise known as drones. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much. So the question of the week for these gentlemen is, why are there regulations governing the use of UAVs or drones to begin with? Well, they're aircraft. (laughs) Aircraft uh, are subject to uh, enormous uh, regulations by the Federal Aviation Administration for safety reasons. Uh, And once the the FAA concluded that uh, UAVs or drones were aircraft, then the full panoply of regulations uh, applied to them. And in fact, because there were no regulations specifically addressed to drones, uh, then there were really very few operations that could be permitted. Initially, only by waiver exemption until we uh, until the FAA got around to putting out a, a rule in 2016. Yeah, that seems actually pretty late. I mean, I would think that there was something that, because we certainly have heard a lot of horror stories on uh, near misses with drones, and even more recently, um, actual uh, outright, you know, eco-terrorism, so to speak, on drones taking down airports. Why, to me, it seems like the regulations actually came a little bit late. Well, I mean, I, th- I would say, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a good point. And what, part of the, the issue is that um, there's some hysteria out there, and some of it's uh, reasonable and some of it's unreasonable. So a lot of the close calls and the stories about doom and gloom on the UAS industry, uh, many of them are unconfirmed. 
uh, or uh, highly um, questioned, uh, and the others are um, cases where you have unknowing um, or less sophisticated users that are in areas where maybe they shouldn't be, where laws existed already. Um, so I'd say that you know, anytime you've got a new technology, the question becomes one of, you know, how do we regulate this and how do we make sure that people are good stewards of the technology? I don't think that's a new thing. I mean, I think what, what, what largely has happened is that um, you're taking technology that has worked quite effectively and, and quite help, uh, in, in a quite um, beneficial way for the Department of Defense and other industries, and you're putting it to use for commercial endeavors, which then uh, has lawmakers and regulators think differently about it. Um, so I wouldn't say we're necessarily be behind in terms of regulating. I would say where we're behind is in really reaching the full potential of this technology. And, you know, once you, you know, the, the irony of this, if you, if you call it that, is that once you hit uh, in a technology, once something becomes something that consumers like or is, can be utilized effectively in commerce, the question really isn't, you know, when are we going to regulate this so we can use it or maybe we should think about not using it. If it's more efficient or if consumers like it, they're going to do it whether you're, you make it legal or illegal. And so the, the, the responsibility is incumbent on lawmakers and regulators to find a way to make sure that people are using it the right way. I think there's a big distinction between the hobbyists or recreational users and those that are com the commercial users. So the majority of members of the Small UAV Coalition, if not all of them, are, uh, are going to be using this technology for commercial purposes and hopefully someday at scale once we get uh, Congress and the administration to act. Um, but, but these are not the actors that we should be most concerned about. I think what happened recently in the FAA reauthorization last year was that they uh, applied the law uh, over recreational users and commercial users. Mm -hmm. So we're now at a place where they're, where they're bringing parity to it and they're saying, you've got to stay away from certain areas, you've got to stay um, you know, at certain altitudes, uh, at certain weights. And I think we're beginning to see that technology, which, which will not be denied, is beginning to find a home within the federal government. And I'd say this administration, this Congress, recognize just the inherent benefits of this, this technology, this innovation. And whether we like it or not, I think um, it's going to be a part of our everyday lives and should be already. Uh, I totally agree. We recently had on Edgar Munoz, CEO of Aeronide, who is a um, associate member of the coalition. So we started talking about introductory that this is going to be a way of life, whether people realize it or not. And it should be for the better of society because of all the things you can think of that um, a UAV, UAS drone can can do for companies and people. Um, so I think also what would be helpful because you're talking about parity uh, between commercial and consumer what are some of the minimum regulations that have now been enacted that people should be aware of? Well, from the very start, from the very start, you couldn't operate over people, and you couldn't operate beyond visual on a site, um, and you couldn't operate at night. Now, <laughs> the FAA is starting to relax and proposing to al allow for operations overnight, but for operations over people, uh, there's a proposed rule that's very uh, that's very restrictive, uh, at least proposed to be very restrictive, and so you'd need a waiver there to do operate over people. And beyond visual on a site, uh, there's no regulation on point yet, so you have to operate, uh, you have to get a uh, waiver. Can we go into detail what beyond visual line of sight is? 
Well, it's, it's beyond visual, as the FAA views it, it's beyond visual on the side of the remote pilot. That's, so you could have a visual observer down, down the way past the pilot's view. That doesn't count from the FAA standpoint. It's got to be, it's, it, you, you, the pilot, the remote pilot has to see it when it takes off and land, lands. That's right now when the, when the technology is, the FAA accepts the technology is being reliable. They'll, I think they'll relax that. That may be a few years uh, away from now. Okay, and how that's relevant is, let's say, uh, for argument's sake, your, your Amazon Prime or your Google Express and you're trying to do a package delivery, it requires basically a driver in a vehicle and then the drone operator in the passenger seat tracking the drone? So one thing is, is Amazon Prime Air and it's, um, it's Project Wing mm-hmm. or just Wing. Um, so those are, those are two air carrier or delivery companies. Yeah, and, and that's that's why that's why beyond visual on a site operations need to be authorized uh, routinely uh, because the business case can't be can't be made with just operations within the visual on a site. It's just not practical. Well, well, this is why it was so important to have you both on the show because uh, two things: one, um, allegedly, uh, as as you just pointed out, that a lot of people don't realize they're violating the law when they do beyond visual line of sight because they just don't understand the rules. And then two, here in California, a big news at the beginning of the year uh, post-wildfires in California, uh, people are looking to PG&E as possibly being responsible. And uh, the judge here that uh, the looking over probation said, you're violating the terms PG&E. We expect you to surveil every single utility pole that you control in California and both the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, and PG&E said it would take hiring 20,000 people in probably five years, and we wouldn't be able to do it. We'll have to look to drone technology. Now, that's a soundbite, but what's involved for them actually to do it? Well, if, they, if they're going to qualify as public aircraft, this gets into the weeds a little bit about the federal aviation regulations, but if, if the Public Utilities Commission is doing the, doing the inspections, not PG&E, then they could say, all right, we can go beyond visual on a site. They've got, to, they've got to coordinate with their traffic control, but they won't have to get the waiver. Uh, they just needed some sort of authorization. But if it's PG&E and it's viewed as a private company, as it is, uh, then it will have to get a waiver. Now, can it get a waiver? It, it probably will be able to for this, this, uh, this purpose, uh, but it will take some time, two or three months. Uh, and the question is, well, will that waiver uh, cover the entire, the entire uh, scope of what they want to do? Or just an, uh, a smaller, smaller period. If I were PG&E, I'd I'd ask for everything, and go in and sit down with the FA and, and tell them what they what uh, what needs to be done. And I think the FA uh, has uh, has been more flexible in the response to hurricanes last year, um, uh, with with authorizing operations that are even over people as well as beyond visual on a site. And I think they would do so uh, because of of the of the uh, urgency to get these these. Uh, uh, towers uh, and, and uh, infected. Yeah, thanks. And let's pause right there for a, a break. So again, I've got Michael Drobeck and Greg Walden of McGuire Woods Consulting and the Small UAV Coalition talking about all things related to drones. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svin.biz and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with Greg Walden and Michael Drobak 
of McGuire Woods Consulting and the Small UAV Coalition. And we've been talking today about what it takes, um, especially for commercial entities, on how to successfully uh, run their drones or run a drone program. So thanks again, guys, for being here. Thank you. So for this week's cyber tip, I'm going to explain how to restrict Facebook from having access to your phone number. So in the news, it never seems like there's good news for Facebook um, lately. It was just announced that Facebook, who we already, in a lot of cases, willingly give up our phone numbers. In some cases, people only gave up their phone numbers to Facebook so they can do what's called 2FA or two-factor authentication. This is where you're securing your, your identity by using a backup like a text to your phone or a call to your phone. It was never intended, um, as people say, it was never intended to be then merged with Facebook's massive database of phone numbers itself. Facebook responded that said that, no, they, it's, it's actually very standard practice. Uh, yes, we asked for your phone number for 2FA, but yes, we merged it with our overall database, and no, you really can't delete yourself once it's in there. So the tip of the week is how do you minimize access to people who um, have your phone number and want to see if you're on Facebook? And that's because now that you're part of this database, anybody can put your phone number into the search bar and find out if you're a Facebook user. The best way to limit access is to limit it only to your friends. And so how you do that is that there's a little hamburger icon, those three hashes, on the mobile app or on the website. And then you go to your settings and privacy and then scroll down to how people can find and contact you. Look up who can look you up using the phone number you provided Tap that, and you'll have the option for either everyone, friends of friends, or friends. So in a TechCrunch article, they said the default setting is everyone, which is not good news for people who want to limit access to your Facebook profile. So it's recommended that instead of everyone, just pick your friends, and therefore, um, who should already have your phone number if you've given it to them, and therefore that limits the access that people have to your phone number significantly. And that's the cyber tip of the week. So, Michael and Greg, great to have you here again. Can you tell me what is the purpose of the Small UAV Coalition? Um, so, Keith, it's a great question. I, and I would say that part of the motivation um, by the founding members and starting it was a devotion to uh, reaching scale um, with these vehicles um, and pushing for the safe and legal um, commercial scale that we think we can hit. And I think part of it is that when you're introducing a new topic to lawmakers and regulators that may not, they may not be familiar with um, and they may not kind of have a, a conception of um, just where this industry can go, you need some advocates, you need people who are knowledgeable not only about the technology but also about aviation generally. And so... Um, the members came together and the stakeholders uh, to ensure that there was a, a positive narrative that, that we were addressing concerns and that um, as you socialize the technology, which was already being used uh, in many cases, especially in other countries, that the U.S., which is, of course, a leading co uh, country in technology, not be uh, caught flat-footed or be um, kind of stunted because the regulation and law wasn't keeping pace with the innovation that was taking place all over the United States. So that was the, the motivating factor. And then it becomes um, more than that. It becomes a, a good kind of 
soundboard for members where they can come together and bounce ideas off each other. And so it became a very good opportunity for members to come together and begin to explore just what the possibilities are with this technology. Yeah, that's great. Earlier in the show, we talked about some of the members, Intel, Amazon Prime Air, and their division wing. Who are some of the other members that have uh, are part of the founding of this? And then what are the ways other companies can get um, information involved? Yeah, so, you know, we started with an interesting group, and the, the, the membership has changed uh, um, pretty dramatically over the past five years. It started with um, certainly Amazon and um, a company, as you, as you probably know, called Parrot and DJI uh, and uh, 3D Robotics uh, and GoPro. And over time, what we saw is the hobbyist or recreational companies, or, or at least companies that believed that was where they existed, um, began to look to form their own coalitions. And I, I, I can't tell you exactly what those coalitions are doing now. Um, but our, co- our coalition, the Small UAV Coalition, um, transitioned and in some ways evolved into a coalition of uh, companies that are um, uh, kind of using the te- technology to do all, all sorts of different commercial endeavors, including precision agriculture, uh, inspection, delivery, um, search and rescue. There's a whole host of use cases, uh, aerial photography and um, uh, and uh, a host of different purposes, but that we really grew into a, a coalition that um, was uniquely focused on commercial endeavors and how do we, you know, bring to bear um, the resources and the mind share to achieve the goals of making sure that people in uh, urban and rural areas understood just how how um, impactful this technology could be, but also how. Uh, we could be good stewards of it. So the member companies could also understand any reasonable concerns that may exist and how we accommodate those. Um, but, you know, I don't often think about the, the cars that drive by my house at night, um, largely because I'm accustomed to them doing that. Um, I, also, I also, you know, I find myself in a world where things are happening where that might have annoyed me if I didn't understand that it's a part of my daily life. And I think part of what this coalition is doing is recognizing that this technology is going to save lives, it's going to promote uh, businesses, it's going to make consumers happier. And part of, the, part of the question is how do we get there? And certainly Greg's work in particular um, with another person, Amanda Armistead, is to uh, ensure that we create the right regulatory and legal environment for this technology to find a home um, within the U.S. such that we don't continue to fall behind other countries. I, I like that. I think it is going to be transformative. Uh, I just recently heard about the first organ transplant between two hospitals using a refrigerated drone, which was uh, awesome. And I think, as we talked about earlier in the show, that Greg's background being the former general counsel of the FAA really just shows you his personal passion on leading this type of um, discussion with the regulators. I think that's really important, especially with the, the banking background that I come from. I understand that. So what are some of the resources that the members can lean on for the Small UAV Coalition? What do you provide? So um, another great question. I would say, uh, first and foremost, we provide Greg Walden, uh, <laughs> who I think as a former FAA chief counsel, um, you know, has an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, aviation law and of the regulations and how the, the FAA operates, how it 
um, uh, arrived at decisions. Um, but furthermore, we have a whole team at McGuire Woods Consulting that is equipped to address uh, all of the agencies, the U.S. Congress, the of course the administration or the executive branch. So we have you know, a, a deep bench of professionals who are experienced in areas where um, we would need to have coverage because this isn't just a Department of Transportation or a Federal Aviation Administration issue. This becomes a Homeland Security issue. It becomes, uh, you know, pot uh, potentially a, um, you know, a uh, Department of Justice issue. It becomes a White House issue. So you have uh, a number of stakeholders that have to be assured that this technology is going to be of benefit to society and you have people that are adamant that we as the United States cannot fall behind. So I would say that that is really of paramount importance that the members have resources and connections to um, not only what lawmakers or regulators are thinking, but also common sense, what are we hearing from people? And we get a, a, an amazing amount of, of letters and information from our portal and from our smalluavcoalition.org website where we've got a Twitter handle and we have a number of of input as to what people are thinking, and that's an important part of driving policy. Uh, so we have to be sensitive to that. So I mean, you have a really impressive list of members already. It almost looks exclusive, but but how do people get considered to become a member of the coalition? Uh, so people people tend to interact with us through our website, and um, I, you know, for um, you know to be considered for a you know, prominent position on the board. What typically happens is. You know, the people will petition and, and give a explanation as to what they want to accomplish. And if it's if it's in line with what the members are doing, they're they're welcomed in at the board level. At the associate level, we have people who come and go, but we have we've had a long-standing group of members that um, are just interested in the field. They're either engaging in the actual utilization of this technology, or they want to be. And so we have a host of members that are really dipping their their foot in the water to get a sense of of all that. Um, they can accomplish through the coalition and um, how to do it best. And many of these companies are getting to know other companies. And so when we began this five years ago, some of the companies didn't know each other. Now they're ensconced in business together. So it's, it's been a nice breeding ground for further innovation, which is we're really proud of that aspect of the coalition. So with just the one minute we have left, what are the what's next in store for the small UAV coalition? You just talked about the first five years. What's coming up? So I would say that uh, one of the things we're trying to do is uh, one of the questions we always ask ourselves is how do you how do you define success? And success would be scale, and success would be operations over people beyond visual line of sight and ubiquity of use of these vehicles, as well as um, a very high degree of autonomy, almost uh, autonomous operations to scale. Yeah. So uh, we have yet to, to meet those um, goals, and uh, so every day is a day where we. Uh, we wake up thinking that this is the day. Great. And, well, and the other last point, just Keith, is that we also are looking for remote identification such that vehicles can be tracked and owners can be identified and we can make sure there's a safe environment for this ecosystem to flourish. That's a great point. So, Michael and Greg of the Small UAV Coalition, thanks for being on the show today. Um, I'd love to have you guys come back as, as things progress. Hey, Keith, thanks for having us. We really Thank appreciate you. it. We know you're doing great work there, so we'll come back at your, at your convenience. Yep. So don't go away because Greg and Michael will be in our final segment, The Pivot, to talk about some of their experiences. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find me, Keith Kuh, on LinkedIn. 
or Silicon Valley Insider on Facebook, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Uh, today, I was joined with Michael Drobak and Greg Walden of McGuire Woods Consulting and the Small UAV Coalition. Uh, the earlier part of the show, we talked all about the regulations that are coming down in regards to uh, unmanned aerial vehicles and unmanned aerial systems. And now we're going to the segment we call the pivot. And so we, we've talked about the pivot before. Uh, companies change ideas, products, pricing models, and now we're going to the future. So we wanted to talk about urban air mobility. So Michael and Greg, thanks again for being on the show today. What is urban air mobility? Well, it's instead of a, a drone that, that carries a package, you'll have a drone that carries one or more passengers. Uh, this is uh, thought of as an air taxi, um, flying car. Uh, it's going to be vertical takeoff and landing or a VTOL. Uh, it will leave your backyard or a vertiport near you and take you downtown to, to work or go between uh, two office buildings uh, in, in the city and cut your traffic time um, by, by 90%. Uh, I remember seeing this in the Jetsons. Yeah, well, and that, Keith, that's, that, that's the, the, the thing that people refer to. I think the, the, either the irony or the, or the sadness is that um, we can no longer sustain the amount of traffic. We can no longer sustain the lack of innovation uh, by the airlines and the consolidation that's taken place. Um, and that you know, Uber and Lyft have been great in terms of making uh, the taxi services uh, more readily available. But we're moving to a place where we're not going to be rebuilding our roads. We're not going to be rebuilding our, our bridges, at least not at the pace we need to. Cities are going to become smarter. We're going to have uh, the kind of technology possibilities in terms of vehicles to transport people in a way that's much more more intelligent, that's much more efficient, and uh, much less expensive. And that will be allowing for there to be innovation in, in industries that have, have been controlled by few. Um, but with the lack of resources and the lack of development in terms of ensuring that urban areas especially uh, continue to, to keep up their infrastructure. I think what we're going to have to see is we're going to have to see change and innovation hit industries that have long made consumers suffer. And this will be the urban air mobility model will really uh, create great efficiencies. Uh, Gray, you were the chief counsel of the FAA. This sounds great, but how far away are we, do you think, from regulations and infrastructure till we actually get to this point of air yeah, taxes? But that's a great question. It's not simply the regulatory framework that the FAA says, yes, you can do it under these circumstances. If there is not infrastructure Michael is alluding to, then it's going to be difficult. That Yes, we have helipads right now, but we'll do a lot more than helipads on top of office buildings to, uh, to facilitate urban, air, urban air mobility scale. Yeah, I also think, uh, you know, me as a, as a consumer, I, I think I'd be afraid of all those objects in the sky. Well, there's going to be this one. This, none of these will be operating unless they're safe and they're reliable, and that's the role for air traffic control or an unmanned traffic management system, a UTM, that will uh, will safely separate and deconflict aircraft, manned and unmanned, uh, in the cloud uh, through technology. Uh, it is it is some years off, 
there are there may be a, a trial here and a trial there, uh, but it's a, it's you'll have drone package delivery before you'll have urban 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 air mobility downtown. Yeah, that makes sense, and I, and I think the the message as we start off on. It, the innovation, we always talk about the sky's the limit, right? The, the innovation in this space will generate um, new avenues of revenue, new ways of efficiencies for all types of companies and people. So I think the, the greater good is exciting. It is, indeed. So in terms of what's next, we talked about urban air mobility. Any other things related to UAVs that are going to be coming up on the horizon? Well, you've got on the horizon over 60,000 feet. You've got a couple of companies up there providing satellite service by drones. Um, that's more of the more of the Wild Wild West uh, than than you have uh, in the in the controlled airspace. That's that's going on right now, but I'm sure that's going to in, increase as well um, because once you get up that high, and you can you might be able to provide broadband service to parts of the world that that are not. Uh, that are not uh, benefited by that service. Yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be coming very soon, and I'm looking forward to that as well. So Michael Drobak and Greg Walden of the Small UAV Coalition and McGuire Woods, thanks again for being here on the show this week, and I look forward to having you again. Hey, Keith, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks very much. Technology always wins. So if you need to get a hold of Michael and Greg, your commercial entity that wants to learn more about how to successfully manage drones, Email us at info at svn.biz. As promised earlier in the show, I wanted to talk about a upcoming career fair here in Silicon Valley. March 18th, Albert's List, the 38,000-member strong Facebook group, is hosting a career fair at TechCode in Mountain View. Employers such as Amazon, Robert Half, Franklin Templeton, and Protivity will be looking for software engineers, accountants, marketers, and much more. If you want more information, look up Albert's List for the March event on Eventbrite and get your resumes ready. And that's it for today's show. Again, if you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 